You're listening to The Reading Riot. Witches and ghouls, welcome back to the Reading Riot podcast with your host Kim. <laughs> you guessed it, it's Halloween time. This episode is gonna be all the spooky, all the fun, get us all hyped up for Halloween. So I am living my best life right now recording this episode with you. And this is probably one of my favorite short stories that I've ever written for the podcast, like ever. So yeah, like a vampire, I'm sure you're craving to hear it. (laughs) That was so bad, oh my God. So before we jump in, I thought I'd set the tone with telling a little bit of a ghost story. Now I don't have any actual paranormal experience per se, thankfully, because I don't know if I really do want to experience anything. But I do live in New Orleans, and as you know, it is a very haunted city with lots of folklore, especially around vampires. So um, when I first moved here, I really did it all. Like, I took every ghost tour, I heard every ghost story, all the vampire folklore. One of my most memorable moments living here was actually my 27th birthday, and it was where I ate dinner. So there is a restaurant in Jackson Square called Muriel's. Now, this building has been around since the 1700s. I'm not joking. And it is a haunted building, supposedly haunted by a number of spirits. But back in 1788, there was an owner named Pierre-Antoine Lepardi Jordan. I don't know if I got that French accent right, but I tried. And he loved this house because back in the day, that's what it was. Today, it's a restaurant. Um, But back in the day, he would throw these grand parties and he loved to gamble and he made a big mistake one night. He thought he had a winning hand of poker and he bet the title of his house in that hand and lost. He was devastated, devastated. And before he was evicted, he went to the second floor and killed himself. So as time passed, the house turned, I think, into one point a factory, and then it turned into a restaurant. And it is now Muriel's today, but weird stuff has kind of surrounded this restaurant. There has been stories of glasses flying through the air. There has been knocking on the walls. People have heard voices. And so from what I heard on a ghost tour when I was walking the streets of New Orleans, the tour guide said that the owners were at the point where they wanted to find out what was going on. So they had a seance. And at the seance, they asked, okay, who are you and what do you want? Well, it turned out in the seance, it was revealed. It was, of course, drumroll please, Jordan. So Jordan was feeling pissed. And they were like, why? 
And then he was like, you're not inviting me to the party. Because if you think about it, it went from a house to a factory to a restaurant to a ghost. It may seem like it's a party every night. Everyone's drinking, laughing, having a good time, right? Well, he's not included. So what they ended up doing is creating a single table at the bottom of a spiral staircase on the first floor where they set out bread and wine every night. Now for an additional fee on top of your bill, you can sit at this ghost table with Jordan and dine with him. And you can actually see the table if you're in Jackson Square on the side of Muriel's building. There's a little window where you can look in and watch people dine at his table. Now, the moment I heard this, the moment I heard this, I knew I had to eat at that table because I don't know about you, but every birthday, I feel like I have to do something significant. My birthday is at the beginning of the year in January. So every year I start out a new age and I kind of want to just set the tone for that year by doing something cool. So I was like, I'm living in New Orleans. Let's do this. And my sister and my husband um, ended up doing it with me. So the night of my birthday arrives and we all walk down to the French Quarter and go to Muriel's and tell them where we're sitting. So let me make this clear. I've never had anything actually paranormal happen to me, I don't think. Like I haven't seen anything. I haven't heard anything. So I was really taken aback when I finally kind of experienced like my first kind of paranormal moment. From the moment we walked into the space and sat down at the table, I felt an instant weight on my chest, like someone pushing me, like, what are you doing here? What, wh- who are you? And that's kind of the vibe I had. It was almost very hostile, like I felt uncomfortable sitting there. And I told our waiter, I was like, please, can we order drinks right away? And I wanna get one for sure done. So we end up ordering drinks. And there is an open chair for him. Yes, if you're wondering, with a plate and some bread. And we end up getting our drinks. I'm still feeling funny. And I knew what I had to do. I was like, I need to acknowledge we're in his space. I mean, this is his table. This is where he comes to enjoy the night. This is why it's here. So I raise my glass and introduce us and say, you know, it's my birthday. And we wanted to spend it with you at your table at your place. And we all cheers And we all take a sip and immediately the energy around us just all changed. Like the weight in my chest was lifted. Everything felt lighter. It was like saying his name out loud and acknowledging that like, you know, we know this isn't our table. This is his table. It immediately made me feel welcomed. And the rest of the dinner was lovely at a haunted table. It was so cool. The waiter then told us like different stories about like weird experiences he had at the restaurant. Like, so we were sitting under a spiral staircase, like I was saying, and the waiter said he would experience stuff while waiting on this table. So he would see people peeking around the banister. He saw stuff straight up just roll off tables with no cause. You know, he said he's seen it all, but he's not surprised given how old the building is. I mean, it goes back into the 1700s, right? So that was my one little ghost story, my really crazy, cool experience. I really encourage you to do the same. So if you're ever in New Orleans and want to dine with a ghost, please do. Now, without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Rain is here with us. Yes, Rain Sullivan. We had her on a previous episode and we're going to read some really cool Halloween themed stories. So buckle up, witches. Here we go. 
Connecting guest to the Reading Riot podcast. Connection complete. All right, everyone. Welcome back, Rain Sullivan. Yay, so happy to be back. Thank you for having me. And it's Halloween themed. I know. I'm so excited. I love Halloween. Like, it's so interesting how many people hit me up and they're like, so are you doing Halloween theme episodes? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, can I do one? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's so fun. And especially if like kind of spooky vibes aren't your genre, then it's an opportunity to to dapple in the in the ghost story kind of zombie realm a little bit. Heck yeah. I actually consider myself a zombie and vampire enthusiast. <laughs> That's very fitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are some of your like favorite Halloween movies? Mm, I think my absolute all-time favorite is Hocus Pocus. Because oh, yeah. it just brings me back to being a little kid. I mean, when I was growing up, that was one of the, I feel like, few Halloween movies that wasn't too scary and was appropriate even though now I have watched it and I'm like okay Sarah Jessica Parker's tits are out but it's fine (laughs) and um and I just love it I like every year I watch it and I watch it way too early I think this year we watched it a month ago (laughs) dude but you know what that's why I'm doing it on purpose because I have the same instinct to watch these movies early so I'm making myself wait till October I cannot watch them before October that is the rules dang that's really strong because I've given up on those rules and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, it's August 18th. We're watching it now. And then we'll probably watch Elf in September. <laughs> My favorite movie. I don't even, it's not necessarily a Halloween movie, but it's called what we do in the shadows. <gasps> yeah. It's now an FX show, but it was an, it was originally a movie and it has yeah. like the flight of the Concords guy in it. And yeah, it's- I just, I'm, I'm, it's my first love. So I can't get into the TV show because I've just, I'm so in love with the movie. Yeah. So I think, okay, I've definitely seen it. And I know Taika Waititi's in it and he like wrote and directed it. And I think he also wrote and directed the spinoff show, which is worth the time. I really like it. Okay. I just like they, the the, the pilot is basically all the jokes from the movie and it just like broke my heart. I was like, no, but it was funnier the first time. (laughs) And there's something very sweet about having like a New Zealand, New Zealander cast. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. the, The humor is wonderful and something about it just goes so well with that dry humor. That's that's a really good one. Oh, it's just so good. Because I obviously, I love vampires. Um, so that one I watch every single year. It's a must. Yeah, that's a good one. I need to add that onto my Halloween list. You should. Oh, I love the movie. So good. So good. Yeah. Still working on your book. Let's, let's talk about it. Where are you at? So I am doing the eighth round of edits. Get it. I'm trying to turn draft eight into draft nine um, quickly uh, so that I can query now and over the next couple months, but also do NaNoWriMo in November. Dude, I'm doing it too. 
Yes. Yes. There's like a, a huge squad growing and um, I'm excited to have like a team of writers come together virtually. Dude, yes. <laughs> we need to make a group chat because I want to stay accountable with this because I had started it last year and I got, I think, 18,000 words of this. It's totally a different story. It's a paranormal. It's a YA paranormal, like spunky kid story. And um, I really want to finish it this year. So that way I could, if in a way, query both my books. There you go. Yeah, that's, I think it's going to be a really cool opportunity to work on something new. Because oh, yeah. the last four years, I wrote the first book and edited it so much and then wrote the sequel. So I'm in the same world. And I'm like, I'm so excited to put those down for a month and to write something new. And I've got like a fun, funky sci-fi rolling around in the back of my head. So I'll be starting <gasps> from scratch. Yes. <laughs> you know, I was thinking if I could write a book with someone, it would be you. <gasps> I would be so down. I think co-authoring a book would be so dope. Yeah, because I'm reading um, The Ravens right now. It's about um, witches who attend a university in Georgia. And um, it swaps between two different points of view, two different witches in the sorority. And uh, it's so good. And you can tell each author is doing one character because their styles are so different. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually like really appreciating the book because it's almost like I have two books in one because I can tell the difference between each writer. But yeah, I totally mm -hmm. see myself doing a book with you. Yeah, I think that'd be so cool because we might have like an overall arc, but if you have if you kind of like hand it over the story to the other character, right? So the other writer, right? You might not know where it's going to go. So then when it gets handed back to you, suddenly like the other character like wound your story in a completely different direction and you got to like adjust. And I, I don't know, something about that I think would just make a really, a really cool kind of novel story. Yes, dude. I'm so excited to jump into prompts. Are you ready to go there? Yes. Ah, okay. So for the entire month, as I've talked about, it's Halloween stories, Halloween theme. And because you're a returning guest, guess what? You had to write the prompt. How was that? It was great. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you do it? Did you just like make it up on the spot or did you like take some time to think it over? All right. Hello, audience. Kim said, make it up right now. <laughs> and I said, okay, here it is. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But here's the thing. You said that you were struggling with it. I was like, don't think about it. Just write what the first thing pops into your head. I wanted to take all the pressure off you. I was like, don't, I didn't want to like stifle that flow. So I just was like, just do it right now. No, I think that was helpful because I was like, well, what kind of story? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And then you're like, what, what's on your mind right this second. And after like 12 ums, I came up with it. So Voila. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what's our prompt? Welcome to hell. Boom. That was <laughs> it, y'all. That took you there in two seconds. Um, you may go first. I'll go second. All right. Da 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 da. Here we go. Why, hello there, and welcome. <laughs> You're listening to Halloween Short Stories with Kim Ryan. Enjoy, witches. 
Welcome to hell. I suppose the greeting is suitable, considering the kappa who lounges in the doorway is dressed up as the devil. Though, I don't think revealing red lingerie and double horns should count as a costume. But I guess her banging body allows her to meet the sorority's strict costume policy required for entry to their infamous Halloween party. Instead of showcasing every inch of my skin, I'm covered head to toe. I agreed to accompany my best friend Kat, who insisted she be a princess, which means I'm wearing the costume of a prince. Yep, <laughs> just as you imagined, a deep red velvet suit with a frilly collar. Kat even provided me with a fake sword, so I look even more the part. I'm not complaining. I like that my chest is covered, not allowing the thirsty frat boys to eye my cleavage. However, I am still wondering why Kat's boyfriend didn't want to dress up with her. It was seeing her distraught face yesterday that made me commit to the costume. She loves costume parties and had already bought her dress and crown, so I didn't want to disappoint. It's $20 for entry, the Kappa snaps while chomping on her pink bubblegum. Each. Not allowing Kat to fumble with her fancy clutch she bought off Etsy, I pull the cash from my pocket. Enjoy, witches, the Kappa smirks, plucking the bills from my fingertips. The sorority house spared no expense this year. From the moment we walk in, Kat and I are surrounded by red tinted fog, flickering candles, spider webs, cauldrons filled with dry ice, baskets of giant candy bars, and partygoers of every costume imaginable, dancing to an eerie remix of Thriller by Michael Jackson. Thank you again, Kara, Kat whispers in my ear. All eyes are on her, and that's how it should be. She looks gorgeous. I just wish her boyfriend had been waiting to meet us. I thread my arm through hers and get into character. Shall we fetch you a drink, milady? Cat giggles and swats my arm as we head towards the dungeon-themed bar set up in the sorority's living room. The bartender, whose face is painted to look like a skeleton, catches our eye and lays a drink menu before us. Cat's eyes light up when she spots the drink of her choice. Tree loves kiss, please, Cat says, picking the sweetest beverage from the list. The bartender nods, already with the grenadine in hand. I suppose our costumes are a dead giveaway. For you, Prince Charming, he asks while finishing Cat's drink. I quickly look back at the menu and decide on a ghoul's margarita that has black charcoal salt on the rim. He sets down our drinks with a flourish. Cat's drink is in a sultry flute glass, while mine is in a skull mug. I tip him well, as a prince would, and we head to the dance floor. Not truly knowing how to dance, I just casually move with the beat as Kat downs her first drink. I probably should have reminded her that her drink was more vodka than juice, but too little too late. After her second round, Kat finally spots her boyfriend Jeffrey. He weaves through the raving crowd. When I see his costume, or lack thereof, I understand why he wasn't interested in dressing up as a prince. He's literally only wearing a white loincloth that haphazardly is wrapped around his waist and a gold leaf headband that is tucked behind his freckled ears. He appears to be a Greek god, which makes sense. Jeffrey is the second string quarterback for our university and works out seven days a week. His work ethic is evident considering his carved muscles are shining from the oil he's generously rubbed all over his skin. Jeffrey picks Kat up like she weighs nothing and kisses her dramatically for the room. When he lowers her back to the floor, she bites her lip. Yep, that's the signal it's time for me to bail. I'm gonna go check out more of the party, 
I say to no one in particular and casually retreat. I'm no more than a few feet away before the two are back to swapping saliva. With a laugh, I chug my drink and abandon my cup to head deeper into the house. It's an older building and is a recent purchase of the Kappas. From what I heard, they only use it for parties, keeping their original house party free and out of the school board's notice. Smart. The party grows quiet the further I go in, finding less and less couples making out in the nooks of the dark. I'm about to turn around when I spot a small door at the end of a hallway. It comes up to about my chin and has an old-fashioned key stuck inside the keyhole. I go to turn it, but I'm stopped by a drunk kappa, dressed as a slutty mermaid. It's a stuck. Haven't been able to open it since we got the blaze. She slurs in passing. Suddenly, she covers her mouth with her long manicured nails. Excuse me. She mutters with a hiccup and runs into the adjacent bathroom. Feeling even more curious, I try turning the key anyway. To my surprise, it rotates and unlocks the door with a tiny click. Making sure the coast is clear, I duck my head and walk inside. After a few steps, I am greeted with a winding staircase. Instantly intrigued, I climb the metal steps which lead to the very top floor of the house. The entire level is an open concept, the walls adorned with black metal candelabras and old Victorian furniture. I'm in awe, being that I'm obsessed with everything from this era. Stuffed animal heads frame the main wall. I'm shocked to find a mountain lion, bear, and moose among them. Large game for any hunter. I continue to look about and notice an old record player sitting near the entry. It sings a soft classical tune to the dim light, making the candles around me dance. I begin to walk towards the rear of the room when a scream echoes from the backyard. I run towards the balcony, flinging open its double doors. I look down to find someone has jumped into the pool, still wearing their costume. Others begin to join in, the steam from the heated water billowing off their skin. Relieved, I take a breath until a deep voice stops me. A man's voice. They make so much noise, night after night. My instincts are to turn around, but something keeps me still. My eyes stay fixed on the partiers below, unable to move. But for some reason, I'm not afraid. I like it best when the house is quiet. Suddenly, he's behind me, a breath's distance from my ear. For this house has its own song to sing. He pauses for a moment, and I feel him assessing me. He lifts my hand, looking intently at my coat. Such a strange costume for a girl. Still unable to move, he flutters his fingers near my mouth. Speak for me. Dressed up to match my friend, I reply, still frozen. Oh, so if you had your choice of costume, what would you have worn on this pivotal holiday? Only one thing comes to mind, and for some reason I want to be honest. A Victorian gown. Why? He seems taken aback. It's, it's my favorite era, I explain. Sometimes I wish I could have been alive then to experience it for myself. Without seeing him do it, I can feel him smile. Given it's Halloween, all is possible. Before I can ask what he means, he pulls my hand and spins me against him. The once dark room is now filled with golden light, accompanied with a small quartet playing an alluring song in the corner. The stranger now has a face, and I stare back at a set of ruby-colored eyes. 
His black hair is combed back to reveal his golden tan skin, a perfect contrast to his dark tailored suit. Suddenly, I notice my own clothes have changed. I'm wearing a Victorian-styled gown, colored a gorgeous violet, finished with fluffy, cascading layers. Dance with me. I... I can't dance. He shakes his head with a smirk. Let me lead. Too in shock to reply, I only nod. With the cue of the quartet, he sweeps me around the room, leading me through a dance that I feel like I've always known. His strong frame guides my arms, and I follow his movements. We spin and slow, all to a rhythm that we only know. If this is a dream, I don't want it to end. But as all dreams do, I know it must. Like the song, our feet begin to slow, and he rests my hands against his chest. Where have you been? Was I lost? I ask, still enraptured with this daydream. He nods and leans against my ear. Not anymore. His lips trail down and softly lay against my neck. He gives me a kiss, and I lean into his touch. The smooth skin of his lips turns sharp as his teeth graze my neck. Like the smooth puncture of a needle, two of his teeth sink in. At first I fight it, but stop as a euphoric glow warms me. There is no pain, but a feeling of pure bliss. After what feels like a lifetime, the man pulls back, my blood still wet on his lips. Tell me your name, darling. Kara, I whisper, feeling out of breath. Will you be mine, Kara? In this dream, I am his, because this is a world I never knew I wanted to keep. Yes, Kara, he whispers in his husky voice. My Kara. Kara! I wake with a jolt as Cat nudges my shoulder. I find I'm sitting on the porch swing of the sorority house, nestled with a fake decorative scarecrow. There you are. I've been looking everywhere for you. I glance around, not remembering how I got here. Sorry, I must have fallen asleep. Cat hands me her clutch. Hold this. I'm going to use the bathroom before we go. Still feeling dazed, I nod and glance down at my clothes. I'm back in my Prince Charming attire, and I'm instantly disappointed to see it. I've never had a dream like that before. It felt so real. Recalling each moment with the vampire, I absently trail my fingers along my neck, recreating the feeling of his alluring touch, and I feel raised skin. Quickly, I fumble through Cat's clutch to find a mirror and freeze when I see my reflection. Two circular scars are visible just below my ear. It's then I realize my dance with the vampire wasn't a dream at all. The end. Woohoo! That was so good! Dude, I have goosebumps! (laughs) (laughs) You do! Okay, so... (laughs) As a writer, it is so hard to be silent when another writer is reading their work because you say something and I'm like, ooh, that was smart. Ooh, that was really good. Ooh, nice adjective, you know? (laughs) And then partway through, like, my brain finally, like, realized it doesn't have to, like, notice everything and it just can, like, relax into the story and I was totally wrapped up in it. That was awesome. Oh, my God, I'm so glad! (laughs) 
Yeah, I wanted to go romance with the vampire because, like, I write vampires in my own book, but it's it's a different world. So this was kind of fun to do, like, a modern day vampire. Yeah, no, I really liked it, and I liked the the whole scene you set as well. It was very believable, especially with like the drinks and the details. I was like, mm, "This girl knows how to party." And then <laughs> um, I liked that it was—I don't know—it it really like didn't feel like a dream. I almost was wondering, like, "Oh, is this just gonna be her life now?" And then waking up by the scarecrow was clutch. By the way, very funny. And then of course, like that little bit of mystery at the end like oh it wasn't a dream okay well you know so it's kind of fun just really good job Loved oh, it. thank you I'm a part of me is like you need to finish this book yeah I feel like you really could you could totally I like want to know what his world is like why is he living in this room in a sorority house is he actually there is it a portal I don't know like yeah oh yeah I know I didn't even think about it like that because like my head was that I was like, okay, he's a vampire. He can create an illusion in in a human's mind. So, like, clearly this was his house at one point. Or he made this house his home. And then it kind of got took over by, like, the modern world. But, yeah, I it could go any direction, which is just so much fun. Yeah. No, that's so cool because my brain was like, oh, maybe it's a portal into hell. Like, maybe he lives there. I don't know. Like, you know, where is this going? that's good Ooh, I like that oh my gosh it makes you like think like okay because I wasn't even thinking that direction and I love that direction (laughs) cool like run with it if you want to (laughs) no obligation I love it okay dude you're up (laughs) another spooky short story coming your way Welcome to hell. The words generated one letter at a time across the screen, then dripped down in bright red pixelated streaks. Simon adjusted his grip on the controller and wetted his lips. Above the bloody puddle of word soup, a prompt appeared and pulsed neon white. Play. Subtext, if you dare. Simon gulped. Fucking play already. LaRocca, a kid too cool to go by his first name, bopped Simon on the shoulder and snickered. The other boys snickered too. Simon's gut contorted into big, bulky knots. His thumb compressed the A button. A ghoul rose from the puddle, arched its spine backward, then stared Simon dead in the eye. He was the Zinth. Essentially a hell zombie, the Zinth was the product of crap like zombie land sucking the oomph out of the word zombie and game distributors banking on the notion that blood sells. All around, a black and red hellscape materialized and the zinth went where Simon's joystick commanded. Humans hid in seedy alleyways and the dumb ones, lowest point value, hung out in abandoned cars. It was a very Gotham-esque, hell-on-earth kind of world, except the zinth wasn't Batman. He was the Riddler on steroids, with a weird fetish for collecting human souls. Simon pulled people from dumpsters, decapitated them, and tossed them to the curb. He scurried into derelict apartments and chucked them through open windows. It didn't matter how you killed them, you just had to kill them. And get enough XP to fight the mob at the gates of Zonareth, Hell 2.0. See, 
the NPC humans were revolting against the Zinth overlord. It was a whole big thing. Dude, the clock. LaRocca pressed his smudgy finger against the screen. If Simon didn't face the mob and get all those humans into hell in the next 48 seconds, it was game over. The Zinth dove into the mayhem, breathing fire, because he did that, and breaking bones. But the humans were smart, aka had a higher collective XP, and trapped the Zinth with a zip tie looped around his neck. Naturally, the Zinth asphyxiated. Game over punched onto the screen in giant square letters, and as the synthetic hallelujah chorus sang, a message appeared. The Zinth fails. Humanity prevails. Boo, LaRocca bellowed. You play like a puss. Ah, ah, ah. Simon's mom walked in with a tray of veggies and eyed LaRocca. Sorry, Mrs. Sims. LaRocca curled his lip when Simon's mother had her back turned. Everyone must eat five carrots and five broccoli heads before you go. The boys in the basement yes-mammed and crunched down more fiber than they'd had all week before donning their costumes. It wasn't cool to wear costumes to school anymore, but they were required for trick-or-treating. Simon was thrilled. He loved Halloween. Well, fun Halloween. The decor, the costumes, the makeup, the pumpkins, it was all great. And the candy was a nice bonus. He could, however, live without the pre-festivities gaming sesh that had become tradition over the last few years. To be quite honest, he hated playing the Zinth, especially with LaRocca breathing down the back of his neck. Simon emerged from the bathroom in a blue, full-body suit holding an umbrella with purple tendrils stapled to the rim. LaRocca coughed a chuckle into his fist. He looked around the room, encouraging all of Simon's childhood friends to do the same. They mimicked him in more than action. Like LaRocca, they wore black pants, black hoodies, and garish face masks propped above their brows. What are you supposed to be? LaRocca sneered. Simon's cheeks flushed. He tipped the umbrella to hide his embarrassment. A jellyfish, he said. The boys laughed, but as they trundled through the back door, Simon's best bud, Jimmy, nudged him and said, I like your tentacles. The knots in Simon's belly twisted tighter, but he, who'd lived in Drexel the longest, put on a good face, turned to the group, and said, Cassie Street's got the best candy. Let's start there. The boys looked excited, except for one. You punks actually want to go trick-or-treating? The rocka balked. The boys stalled. Not today, dipshits. We're going to Deception Ridge. Dusk was slate gray, and high on a bluff overlooking the sound sat Grimm's Manor. It creaked as marine fog rushed through its shattered windows. It moaned where panels of sea-soaked wood pushed against rusted nails. My mom said everyone who lived here died from scarlet fever, Ty whispered. No, I heard they were murdered, Zach whispered back. By the daughter, Jimmy added. LaRocca pushed through the whispering bunch and trotted up the steps of the manor, as though they weren't centuries old and clearly the proceedings to a very bad idea. Ladies, LaRocca taunted, bowing and pushing back one of the gothic double doors. It swung easily into the depths of the manor, and Simon lost all feeling in his feet. Numb, he followed his friends up the steps. They stalled at the door. LaRocca tossed his head back in a wolfish cackle and walked inside like he owned the place. Simon tiptoed in last, leaving his tendril-studded umbrella on the stoop. 
The interior reminded him of the rundown apartment in the video game. Broken glass, torn curtains, everything in grayscale. If the sky outside were blood red, he could be right back in that virtual world, serving the overlord of Zonareth. Instead, the sky darkened with every passing second from shades of charcoal to inky midnight. Someone laughed. Laraka stood at the top of a curving staircase. He tossed Simon a wicked grin and vanished behind a black door. Whoa, look at this, Ty gasped, and Simon scuttled from the foyer into the dining hall, seeing all manner of imagined things along the way. He joined Ty, Jimmy, and Zach before a hole in the floorboards. Ty whistled. I don't think the daughter did it. Simon knelt beside his friends. Beneath the floorboards was the body of a little girl. Well, the bones of a little girl. They were white-white and so small. The crumbled pieces of her were held together by strips of floral fabric that had surely been addressed at some point in time. You guys, this is creepy. I'm leaving. Ty stood and went for the door. Simon and the other two popped up to their feet just in time to see Ty evaporate into thin air. His footsteps echoed, and the sound of the front door slamming shut reverberated through the house. Simon chased his friend, sure his mind was tricking him. The door was wide open. On the verge of calling out Ty's name, Jimmy grabbed Simon's wrist. What? Simon whispered breathlessly. Where'd Zach go? Jimmy asked. Simon looked around. He was right. Simon ran back into the dining room. No Zach, no Ty. Jiminy, I don't know where they... No Jimmy. Whispers curled over Simon's skin and the air around him warmed. The hole in the floorboards gaped and... and breathed. Wisps of smoke spiraled up from the depths. Simon crept to the edge of the hole, his heart pounding erratically in his chest. He stared down into the pit. The little girl and all her scattered bones were gone. Simon ran for the front door as something hot and hellish wrapped around his ankles. He crossed the foyer in slow, sluggish steps and froze. A scream tore through the house from upstairs. Laraka. Simon turned, dragging his heavy feet up the steps and reached for the door Laraka had slipped behind. Something was urging Simon backward, but with his hand steadfast around the doorknob, he was secure. He rotated the handle. It was locked. Simon rattled the knob and pushed his weight into the door. The door shook in its frame, banging louder and louder until Simon realized he wasn't the only one trying to force it open. LaRocca was slamming the door from the inside. Let me out, he screamed. Let me out. Simon pushed and pulled and rammed the door with his fists. His skin was slick with sweat. The air in the manor burned his throat. The banging stopped. Let me out, someone whispered. Not LaRocca, not Ty, not Zach, not Jimmy, a little girl. Simon tried the door again. The knob spun 90, and the door that moments ago had been black turned white with pink posies. It tipped open, and Simon saw LaRocca. He was on his back and gasping for air. In the reflection of a child's vanity set, a little girl in a floral dress knelt on LaRocca's chest, holding his neck. She turned to see Simon, eyes white as paper, and the door slammed shut, back to black. Simon shimmied the handle and slammed the door over and over until his shoulders were sore, until his knuckles were raw. Defeated, he fell to his knees, 
His forehead thumped the door one final time. What? The Raka opened the door and stared down at Simon. Are you okay? He asked, offering Simon a hand. Simon came to his feet. Slowly. Nervously. I... He began, are you? Simon didn't know what to say, what to think. I think we'd better get you out of here, LaRocca said, guiding him down the stairs. From the foyer, Ty, Zach, and good old Jimmy stared up at the two of them. Wordlessly, Simon followed his friends outside. Each of them gave him some sort of awkward pat on the back or sheepish pity smile. Hey, LaRocca called after Simon. You forgot your umbrella. Can't be a jellyfish without your tentacles. Simon took the umbrella, staring headlong into LaRocca's black eyes. Why are you being so nice to me? Simon whispered so the others wouldn't hear. LaRocca whispered back, the zinth fails, then winked before turning to the others. Simon sucked wind and the responding tagline glowed in his head. Humanity prevails. So, LaRocca Beam, you guys think there's still time to go trick-or-treating? The end. Ah! What? (laughs) That was such a trip! Yay! Oh my gosh, it was so creepy. It was like giving me, like, first of all, Stranger Things modern day vibes. Like if the kids were around today, what mischief would they get into? And I just love the video game that you started the story out on because I wanted to play it so bad. Thank you. Yeah, I will. To be fair, I've been reading. Um, I, I finished up Ready Player One not that long ago. Uh-huh. And so it's all like virtual world, you know, living in a mm-hmm. screen. Um, and then of course, like with Stranger Things season four, having just wrapped up, it's like, I've got Stranger Things on the brain for days, for months. Oh, yes. <laughs> Cause you know, I love like creepy stories with kids because they view the world differently than adults and react differently too. They're more curious and they tend to be more adventurous and then get in these situations versus where I feel like a lot of the adult horror movies, they just fall into the bad stuff that happens. Yeah. Like it totally makes sense that like a, a kid at that age is like, Oh gosh, my friends are going, so I have to go. Whereas right, now exactly. I feel like, F you, LaRocca. I don't want to go. I like free candy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because there is that, like, kind of, like, there's going to be that kid in the group that kind of bullies everyone else into doing what he wants to do. And then there's the kid that feels a little insecure. But then he has his buddy who has his back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah, I would have told him he's a cool jellyfish, too. I know. There there (laughs) may be some part of that story, wink, wink, the jellyfish, that is... Not made up. <laughs> <laughs> you were the jellyfish? In fifth grade, I was a jellyfish. And I wore all blue. Not a blue bodysuit, because I don't think those existed. Um, <laughs> but I wore all blue, and I taped fish all over me. And, like, hung tentacles from an umbrella. <laughs> and, <gasps> and, like, sparkles. Oh, my God. You were probably so cute. At first, I felt so nervous, and then everyone wanted to join my, like, jellyfish party because I put sparkles on it. So, like, if you stood (laughs) under the umbrella with me, it was like being in a mini disco. (laughs) (laughs) See? So you were like, you were the party. (laughs) I loved it. It was great. I felt 
very awesome for one whole day. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. No, that was a great story. You always have such a way with words. Like, I just, that's why I can't wait until your books are out in the world because you were just such a natural writer. Oh, thank you. I I mean, writing is one of those things where it's like, there is nothing else that's ever felt this natural. And I've actually done other things that really do feel close to it. Like, Mm -hmm. I was a gymnast for 16 years and did pretty well and went to college and did college gymnastics. And it was great. Like, I wouldn't trade it or change it, but it's not like writing. There's something about writing that's like, this is where I want to be all the time. This is what I like to do. This is where I feel like I'm completely myself. You know, so there's yeah, I don't know, something about it. So thank you. It means a lot. Oh, of course. It was so good to have you on my creepy Halloween episode too. Yes, it was lovely to be here and share stories with you again and anytime, honestly. Oh, of course. You're always welcome. Yay. (laughs) All right. See y'all booze later. Bye, witches. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Catch you later.